Hello, folks. Uticast episode number one. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. It's 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 great to have you all here, all twelve of you. Whoever's whoever. If we get twelve, it's a good week. Uh, special uh, special Utica bread episode here to start the show off. Uh, Absolutely. We have Cliff Montagne who will come in and pronounce his name correctly. Cliff Montagne, gonna Cliff settle the score for once. <laughs> about Utica bread and our uh, excellent tour we took there. Yeah. Uh, we watched. Six episodes of the Twilight Zone last you night. Did all the Twilight Zone? All the Twilight Zone. Uh, first hot take. First hot take of the uh, of the show. Rod Serling is is number one. I would take Rod Serling as like my spirit animal over almost anyone. It's not a hot take if everybody thinks that. Loves that guy. Everybody. Upstate New York's finest. Rod <laughs> Serling. Love you, gay. Sunscreen as perfume these days. That's <laughs> sunscreen and cigarettes is the like, official perfume. Of Aaron Higgins. Of Aaron Higgins. <laughs> oh my um, god, I smell sunscreen and cigarettes. Higgins must be around. Uh, Aaron Higgins. Hi, Aaron Higgins. Hi. What's your Twitter handle again? Aaron underscore. New underscore shoes underscore. Aaron, Aaron underscore new underscore shoes underscore. And Kevin no, Sullivan. No. Just kidding. Aaron underscore new underscore shoes. That's it. No, no underscore. No underscore. Okay, I just got underscore crazy for a minute there. <laughs> Kev Sullivan. Hi, buddy. Hi, buddy. What's going on, man? Uh, same thing, different day. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is true. Um, back here, South Utica, in the studio. All three of us together. It's so nice. Together at last. Together. It's pretty magical. It is magical. It's pretty magical. I can feel the magic in the room uh, right now. Aaron, just as I was coming in to... to do podcasting prep work today. I saw the I, I saw the flyer for that uh, that comedy competition you're in. So do you want to tell me a little bit about this? So I don't have to look at the flyer. Yes, I will tell you all about it. Yeah. Uh, I did not know there were that many comedians on the flyer. <laughs> on the, I was under the impression it was just me. And me I, alone. That's what I saw. <laughs> like that's what I was led to believe. It was the Aaron Higgins fun oh. hour? No, there's a, a huge competition for local comedians. And I am on the flyer to compete for the funniest person in upstate New York or Utica or whatever. So I'm going to go in on August 29th at 8 o'clock at the Radisson. I'm surprised I remembered all those details. I was waiting to see. I was waiting to see. Got them all. August 29th is a Saturday. And compete for the first prize. And I'm opening with a joke about how I'm going to be the only girl there. Because I'm not the only girl there. (laughs) But that's my opening line. Uh... Because I want to rework that. No, because then I'm going to no. say, oh, there's another woman. Well, at least I'm the hottest girl here. And then oh. it'll just, like, polarize me. It'll go one way or the other. It's going to go really poorly. Like it's it. going to go really poorly. Like last time when I said I was a fat girl and everyone hated me after that joke. But I'm excited about it. It should be really exciting. Phil Farda is our host. How many comedians are there on the, on the bill? Uh, there, honestly, there's, like, ten. Yeah, eight there's or a ten. lot. So the list I'm, was... It was, it was impressive. really impressive. And I didn't know anybody's name except for Chris Mandry, who's also on the docket. I've never heard of him. 
Chris yeah. Mandry, another another good friend of the podcast. Another yeah, good friend of the podcast. Get Chris on here. What, He's what incredible. This? He's incredible. He's uh, very funny, very <laughs> smart, very uh, charming fellow. You guys worked on the forty eight hour. We worked on the forty eight yeah. hour movie together. Uh, the award sweeping forty eight hour <laughs> wow. film. I need a bell for every time you like put yourself. Put myself in the, in the. You know what? No, here's the best part: is that I literally had two scenes, so I can say award sweeping. We, I lost uh, best actor to a dog, so who was also in our movie, but I, so did Mandry. So. The dog. Listen, I saw the movie. It was very good. The dog was very. That good. dog was very convincing. Was very. He had to like me for like a whole scene, and it, uh, I had treats in my bra because <laughs> there was no other way to get him to sit on my lap. Um. Well, this is we don't do transitions here. That was an excellent transition into uh, the adventure that me and Kevin went on uh, last weekend, and I'd like mm-hmm. to talk to you about. We do have Cliff from uh, Utica Brand coming on for the interview section later, and he's an excellent interview if you make it that far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't turn if it you off. don't quit after the first yeah. segment. <laughs> you don't, yeah, you're not over it by the bumper. Uh, but we got to take an early tour of Utica Brand. We did. And it was... Uh, I thought it was awesome. Uh, it, was, yeah. it was incredible. It was it was so nice to see something like that. You know, so nice to come into Utica and see somebody. I mean, when you walk in, you can tell that's not just like these guys make some bread. Like that's a legitimate old school, yeah. full on bakery. Well, it, it's something you and me talk about this all the time when we're driving around and we see like a dilapidated storefront, mm-hmm. say somewhere. It's just like, man, there's so much opportunity, but you really need somebody to invest the money because a lot of times it's going to take a lot of money do you know that it's the uh same funding the same backing as nail creek and taylor and cook and that the baker and the chef from taylor and cook are the ones at the bread company now so it's high quality people going in it's not people who don't know what they're doing it's amazing the product is amazing I have tons of respect for Talgo, actually. I like. Oh, I, I, I respect Chris his Talgo. grind. Yeah, Chris, Chris Talgo and Tim Hardiman. I mean, it's it, yeah. like from going in there and taking the tour. It looks like it's going to be another home run for those guys. Like, they're they're going to make a billion dollars. Chef yeah. Tim is. I call him. I just refer to him as Chef Tim. Yeah. He's what. He's the finest thing that Utica has going in the food business. I yeah. truly believe it. He's he puts out such fantastic stuff at Taylor and Cook. Well, and I had I had a friend of mine come home and ask me. Uh, you know, somebody who used to live here and moved away, and he would always hear about Taylor and the Cook, and he was always like, you know. Is it really as good as everybody says it is, or is it just you yes. know because it's what it is? I'm like, no, nah, dude. I'm like, it's really, it's really good. It's the real deal. I was there the other night. I'm sorry, I don't like to interrupt. No, no. But I was there the other night, um, and they had the bread. Yeah. Oh. Well, they've been they've been using the bread there. They've been using the bread there, which is tough for you because you can't have. Bread I can't there. eat bread, so um, it's tough. I have celiac disease. For those of you who don't know me, who don't know how I. It's like my opening conversation topic in most of my conversations. <laughs> You're not one of those trendy gluten-free people. No. You've got an actual medical diagnosis. I have a med- yes, I'm one of many, but I have, it's one of my actual medical diagnoses. So I'm not allowed to eat bread. I'm not allowed to eat a lot of stuff. But I can tell you right now that my date had it, and I smelled it. I did pick a piece of it off and smell it, and it smelled like heaven. Mm-hmm. It looked really nice. The consistency of the bread is really nice, and it's really well done. Well, it was dense and beautiful. Well, that's when we went in there and we took the tour. They had all their ovens were going. They had croissants going, dinner rolls going, baguettes going. Mm-hmm. And the smell alone, like, that's one of those places that, you know, when you walk in there, just the smell, it was it was unbelievable. It smelled so good. And watching and watching the two uh, the two bakers who were back there, I, I don't mm-hmm. remember their names, but they were super friendly and courteous and yes. nice. And they let us try the delicious croissants, which were as delicious as advertised, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, but they were... They were Master craftsmen, watching them just 
roll out those baguettes like it was nothing I was blown away well and they're, they're a really... perfect example of what you were talking about you know if you're going to do something you have to invest the money to do mm -hmm. it right because like you know they went and they hired I mean they've got that one French guy who's you know the most legitimate baker he's like if you he's a baker from central casting like instead of just hiring some people who want to work in a kitchen and giving them a recipe you hire guys who are passionate about this craft and that's when they were talking about it. you can tell that they are passionate about making good products and you know good bakery products for the people and that goes along with, you know, all the nice work they did inside, making it look beautiful and redoing the facade. But even hiring the staff and the people they're getting on, you know, sparing no expense, it's important if you're going to open something and redo something. Instead of trying to rush it out as quick as you can, if you take your time and take the time to do it right and do it the right way, you're going to have a much more sustainable sustainable business model going forward because you took the time to get exactly what you want instead of putting out some half-assed product that you slapped together. Well, that's the difference. It's, it's uh, you know, this probably could have been done cheaper and more efficiently to make oh, more money. Yeah, but that's not really the point of it. It's meant to be something that stands the test of time, right? He's trying to establish something as opposed to just how can I make money? And the thing yeah. about it is is that it's not it's not gonna go um, under you know, it's not gonna go unnoticed. We are in right. Utica, we are in a town where you have a lot of uh, food places that are pumping out very good food. I mean, you have a lot of places that are like old Italian recipes, came from somebody's grandmother, you have all those those places where they make their own pizza dough and their own stuff, but this is a completely different entity altogether. Mm -hmm. It's strictly this this gorgeous bread that they're putting out. Mm -hmm. And I think they've got plans too. Uh, when I was talking to Cliff, you know, before he came in, and you know, Cliff's coming on later, but we were talking a little bit outside, and he was saying that eventually the goal is they're going to move into wholesaling and stuff like that. And that's where you really, you know, if you can make that money on the wholesale, supplying bread to all sorts of restaurants in the region. And then, you know, come back and put that. It allows you to reinvest in your business and keep it as nice as it can be. Well, to go with that same mentality of keeping businesses as nice as they can be, we have a lovely bread bakery coming in right now. We have a lot of really nice restaurants that have come in. What don't we have? This is the question I'm wondering. I want to know what's next. I want to look into the future. That's it's a good I mean, the, it's it's sort of wide open as far as it goes. You know, there's so many, like like we said, there's so many, you know, beautiful old buildings and spaces ready for somebody to come in and give some love and some time and some money to and do something that it's kind of, it depends on when it, it's, it's wide open. I never know what to expect next. You know, before I started hearing rumblings of, hey, you know, Cristaldo is going to open a bakery, you know, I never would have thought, oh, yeah, bread place. But then once it did, it's like, oh, that makes sense. So I'm really not sure what to expect. There is no uh, very obvious, like, niche that we're missing in Utica, there's none of the, like, oh, you guys don't have any bars. Like, that's obviously not a thing. There's no quality. I mean, we have a very nice, a handful of beautiful restaurants in downtown that are gorgeous. I don't know what's going to come next. Hot take. I think South Utica could sustain one more bar. South I Utica could sustain, I think could one, sustain more one more bar. Oh, I, I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, opening a beautiful bar, that would, I mean, here's the thing. You need to look at the, the, the uh, audience you're willing to entertain. You're not... You're not putting a bar out that's going to go unnoticed in the middle of Eric Street. That's for a college crowd. Sure. Because that that is that is already been done and already failed and, and been done a thousand other times. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do that. You want to put out a bar that's catering to a different crowd, the 30-ish you know, young professionals mm -hmm. that are coming to... Or the people, even the people who want to stay off the zoo that it exactly. tends to be on. Because exactly. even I go down on a Thursday, go to Nail or something like that, and... It's nice, but there's still the people everywhere. And I think in South Utica, like the Green Onion's got a great thing going, yep. but they are also a little bit small. There's definitely room for the people to grow yeah. all over commercial spaces in South Utica. There's a lot of stuff that we built on there, but there's not a lot of commercial real estate, which I think is one of the big problems with the neighborhood. Exactly. And because we live so close to the Onion, 
I do see it enough. I could use another bar to go to just so I'm not at the Onion all the time. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, like walking distance. Not a knock on my house. need another bar that's in walking it's more distance. Of a, it's more of a knock on my ability to, you know, walk to a bar. I'm like, well, where are, what other bars can I walk to? I guess the Auburn. I don't walk to the Auburn enough. Mm. Gonna go to the Auburn more. We'll be right back. <laughs> Serious uh, topics. Serious topics. Uh, two, there were two big issues that I read a lot about when I was at my office this week not doing emails or any of the work I was supposed to do. Uh, but these are the, the, these are the two big uh, topics that hit me this week. Uh, gay marriage, obviously, the gay marriage ruling. Supreme Court, five to four for the good guys. And when we called it, boom, Sotomayor dropping the mic like a champion. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, I just think it's crazy how fast we got here with like with with gay rights. It seems like, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to discount the struggle, but I don't. Think no, it's cra- it's crazy. It did. It went really fast. I mean, if you went back to even you know ten years ago, if you told me in ten years it would be unilaterally legalized all across the board, I would have been like, I don't know, man. Ten years is pretty ambitious, but the tide turned really quick, and it's a good <laughs> thing. That was great. You have to look at you know. There's so many things you have to look at when it comes to this decision. You have to look at where the president is in his in his overall thing now where he's he's leaving and so the decisions that are being made under him are almost like we have to kind of like get them in before he leaves and what no i'm saying i love late era obama like oh. i'm loving this late era resurgence he's like of obama stuff. dude he's going he's on go- podcasts sorry we go- no, he's, no obama late- if you hear us you're welcome <laughs> yes we love Come on the podcast anytime uh, oh, I, I do think that this <laughs> ruling was was fantastic <laughs> and um one something that was really interesting that happened to me this week after after this marriage equality thing was that I I heard a lot of the term gay marriage being dropped mm. and now it's just being referred to as like marriage, marriage yeah. which I think is really interesting and really really speaks at like the fundamental nature of this whole this whole thing yeah. and it speaks to like guess what like now it's just marriage and it doesn't matter who you love and it doesn't matter now you can just get married and it doesn't have to have a tag attached to it well I wanted to make one quick point about why I think it turned so quickly to the good guys I always say the good guys the good guys um, like when my mom I had a cousin who came out about uh, I would say I don't know 10 years ago now maybe it was it was about a decade ago and my mom I remember she called me and she was she was concerned and it was the first time I was like, what are you concerned about? Do you know what I mean? It's just her generation at that time didn't know how to handle it. And now she like she got called fabulous at a wedding once by a gay couple and now she's like <laughs> now she's so for it, so yeah. happy. Oh my god, you know but she's in. Uh she's in now but uh it's just so funny. Like my mom is she's she's a relatively older woman, but she older she family. turned so quick when yeah. she really started to think about the basic issue behind it. And I think it's such a basic fundamental, you know, how do you say no to people? Yeah, it's really hard to, to yeah. argue against well, love. I think I think one of the things that's helped the older generations a lot, and certainly not all of them, because there's certainly a lot of older folks, even some younger folks who are still like, that's ah, disgusting, it's against the Bible or whichever God they believe in, whatever it is. I think you see you've seen a lot in media of normalization of, you know, same sex couples. You've got like you turn on a show like Modern Family. Modern Family is the biggest sitcom 
in the country right now and has been for a bunch of years running and two of their main stars is a gay couple who adopted their child and this and that and when it gets beamed into homes and it becomes so normal and people see it and more people get comfortable coming out it just takes time for these people who grew in these generations to see that like hey look it's normal i know it seems weird i know it seems different i know people weren't as open with it back then when you were a young person but like then they look at it and like, oh, well, this isn't so bad. You know what I mean? It's the taking it out of the, um, it's it's taking it out of the era of, you know, hush hush and behind closed doors. Yeah. And now it's out. It's out in the public. It's out. Mm-hmm. It's so. It's so. Like you said, it's so normal. Yeah. Like, people don't bat an eye at it anymore, yeah. and it's it's not something that you can say, oh, you don't whisper about it. Like, oh, did you hear? It's not a big deal. It's yeah. and it's never been a big deal to uh, you know our generation, the thirties and the twenties and stuff. It's. But the older generation, it's it, like you said, they're well, finally it's, coming it's, around. It's the way they grew up with it. I mean, I had yes. I had a family member who, you know, she's she's sixty years old now, but when she in the seventies, you know, after college or maybe she moved to California for college, wherever it was, and she went out there, she never ended up moving back home. And every time we would go visit, it would be like, oh, well, that's you know, there's your aunt, and that's her friend that she lives with. And after a while, like all the kids knew, but none of the adults wanted to talk about it. But all the kids, I remember being. Nine or ten years old, be like, hey, how come everybody won't talk about, you know, this person just being gay? Like, why are we pretending that's their friend? And, like, everybody was so hush-hush and horrified. But now, you know, everybody starts to normalize it, and it's you realize that it's not a big deal. And, these, you know, everybody should get all the same rights that everybody has. I'm interested to see what gay divorces will look like. Oh, it's gonna be. That's I. I could go. I could go I for. I could go for a lot, half an hour. And with I say gay divorces because I'm strictly discussing gay couples. I'm not saying, you know. It will be divorce of, of you know, the falling apart of a marriage of a same-sex couple. And I'm very interested to see how that's going to I think it's going to do a lot to change the laws and statutes as they apply to divorces. Now, if you look at a lot of, you know, custody laws, alimony laws, stuff like that, and they favor one side and they look at, oh, well, the man is this and the woman is this, and this is the way it pertains to any children in the marriage. You take a lot of those laws out when it's a same-sex couple because things are different. I think it's going to do things to make some divorce laws that maybe aren't super fair to people. It's going to do a lot more to equalize that and even that out and everything, too, as well, which will be a good thing in the long run. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Well, that's not the only thing in the news this week, either. No, politics. We're hitting politics hard right now. I feel... Heavy-duty. This is a heavy-duty cast. Uh, this one is a little bit... There's <laughs> a different type of issue, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if necessarily... Uh, Either, let's, let's move into it. Talk about Confederate flag. I've been all a buzz about the Confederate you flag. You were so excited walking in here about the Confederate I am, flag. I have so many things to say about the Confederate flag. Don't let me stop you, please. Okay, so let's start with something that really bothers me. It's okay. the Dukes of Hazard. Ooh. The Dukes of Hazard has been pulled from television. There's no reruns of the Dukes of Hazard on Where television. were they playing the Dukes of Hazard? They're playing they? like I thought it was like TV Land or Nicket. I don't know something of that caliber. But they pulled the Dukes of Hazard from TV. Is this the type of stuff you know when you're in bed by eight thirty every night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the information. This is you the have. old lady information I acquired. <laughs> I'm here to share it with everybody. Yes, they pulled the Dukes of Hazard, and that really bothers me because all right. So the Confederate flag, as we know, is a polarizing image currently, um, but people so people associate it with so so quickly with racism and slavery and all these horrific things that they don't really understand the fundamentals of what the flag was stood for. And yes, do I think that, do I personally think that South Carolina should be putting the flag on their front of their building? No, because no other state does it. Uh, Upstate, you know, New York, we're not sticking our union flag on the front of our buildings. Well, Whitesboro is. Well, Whitesboro is a different story altogether, and we'll get to that in a minute because I have a really, really hard time with that issue. But... 
when you look at the Confederate flag and what it stands for is the fact that during uh, the, the war and during the Civil War and all these things, the South wanted to secede and they wanted states' rights and the North wanted a, a, a fundamental basis of all rights for all the states and a, a governing body that would cover all the states and not let the states have rights. So they created the flag in Virginia as General Lee's army flag to act as a battle cry for states' rights. It had nothing to do with slavery. It had nothing to do with racism. Which 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 rights is it do you think the states wanted? Well, that's the thing. They it's wanted like, the right to, to own people. Yes, I do understand that. But at the same time, they wanted to secede, and they wanted to be their own governing body of states. So do I think that it holds as much power as people assume? I mean, we're not talking about, like, it going around and having, like... Uh, I just don't think it needs to hold as much power as it does. I understand the point you're making, but it's sort of like the swastika argument, right? Like, yes. it's not that a swastika inherently is like the symbol means what it, the symbol means what it means because the Nazis co-opted it, right? Yes. Even though the Confederate, uh, maybe the Confederate states, you know, adopted this flag as a battle cry, it's not about that. It's about what the flag comes to represent in history. It's hard to go back from knowing what it meant. I think to, and I think to to say that, you know, well it's not it's not fully a symbol of hate or racism, which I think is an argument you hear a lot of people in the South that like, no, it's about heritage, it's not hate. Well your heritage is hate. So I don't really know what to tell you about that. But John Stewart made a really good point when he was talking about the the Charleston shooting, which I think is that that's a huge thing, the fact that this this Confederate flag thing has become you know, they've made this the news. So they don't have to talk about what happened in Charleston. Exactly. Right. They don't yep. have to talk about this racist white kid who went in and shot up a black church. They're like, we can't talk about that because that doesn't go with the narrative. Let's just talk about the flag. So I think it's kind of a red herring to distract people. Yeah. But when you talk about it, you know, the flag shouldn't have that much power. You can't give it that much power. That's easy to say. But I couldn't possibly imagine being a black man who lives in a place like so. This is something else that John Stewart was saying. I can't imagine having to drive down the streets in my town that are named after Confederate generals that fought to keep my ancestors a slave. I couldn't imagine having to drive by that flag and see what it means. And you can you, know, you can say that it was used to be a certain thing or mean a certain thing, but everybody knows damn well what a lot of people who are still sporting Confederate flags mean about it. You know what I mean? And you can still, it's one of those things like, oh, we're not racist, it's just this, and it's real tongue-in-cheek. But it's like, yeah, but we can see what you're doing. And I think we've moved past a point in the country where a thing like that, like that heritage of flying that specific flag is not important enough to anybody to allow the damage that it inflicts on the people that it damages. Can we just take a step and talk about um, there are flags in other places that are equally as as horrific and equally as as scary. And we look at even upstate New York and we look at the flags of the of the towns that we have in upstate New York. The town symbols, not the flags, but the town crest, right? Mm-hmm. The crest, but they're on the flags. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of them are on a flag. And right, you have yeah. them, and it's like a Native American being choked by a white person, by a white man, or a Native American being pushed downstairs or whatever. And right. then you have these horrific images of, of graphic violence depicted towards Native Americans. And it's like, you even think, think to yourself, like, wow, you know, this is so, mm-hmm. this is so vicious and, and malicious. It's just... I don't think that we should have them. I don't think that they should fly the Confederate flag in the South. I don't think taking Dukes of Hazard off television was a really big no. one. It was a necessary that's, issue. That's an overreaction. And that's the thing. It's like that's the over, an overreaction. I think that more so than anything, my over my reaction is to the overreaction. And right. my reaction is saying like, whoa, 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 take a step back. Do I believe Bree Newsom had every right to climb that flagpole and pull that flag down? Yes, of course I do. Because that's her country too. Mm-hmm. Do I think South Carolina should have it hanging in front of the thing? No. Do I think that the town of Whitesboro should have a, or the town of 
Clinton or Oneida or any of those towns should fly a, cr a crest or a flag that depicts violence against Native Americans. No, of course they don't. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's all in how we now, like you said, it's all in yeah. how we, we see the past. And the overreaction to stuff is insane really in this culture. You know how you fix uh, Dukes of Hazard? if you want to get it back on TV, mm -hmm. tie it back around? You let the Duke brothers get gay married now. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes with the interview from our good buddy Cliff. no escape uh cliff i need to clear something up right now for the people fantastic great i have how how do you pronounce your last name um i learned very recently that i may be doing it wrong <laughs> uh, you yeah you no, yeah it turns out that i might be doing it wrong so if you ask me my last name is montoni montoni yeah so so but it's spelled m-o-n-t-a-n-y-e Right? So that doesn't make any sense. It seems like it would be Montagne. It does seem Clifford that way. Montagne. So if you were to ask my grandmother, who I believe to be the authority <laughs> on essentially everything um, from, you know, astrophysics to pronunciation of my last name. It's a staggering. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she would pronounce it Montani. Montani. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not that bougie. I'm I'm far too average. That's fair. Yeah. Now, uh, that's fair. We Tell I have a, my grandma <laughs> called it bougie, by the way. I have a plan. Tune in. <laughs> I have an unpronounceable last name, it seems like, with people who have a hard time with my last name. Um, the Italian pronunciation, it seems like, is Fumbrado. <laughs> but no one no one says that shit. No, no, no one here, uh, yeah. No, no one here. Uh, so I get a lot of Flamalaro. That seems Mr. Flamalaro. They like, basically just change the letters around. They push the L up to the front. Yeah, yeah, just for their convenience. Uh, Cliff, uh, I was really, uh, I was really happy to see you. We met you this weekend. Uh, me and Kev uh, met you for a tour of the new Utica Breads facility. Yeah. Uh, now I don't know exactly what you do there. You have to, you have to enlighten me on what your your job title is. All right, so. Bread. My job title right now is bakery manager, um, or front of, so, so I run the front of house. That's a handsome title. It, yeah. Does it? <laughs> I like that. It goes with the face. Um, <laughs> face for podcasting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Face for baking. Too, apparently. <laughs> um, so that's, that's my official title. Mm -hmm. Um, right now though, I was really, really excited to get involved. Um, I can't say I got involved early on, Tim and Melissa, um, Chris and uh, Steve, our head baker, have been working hard on this for uh, like a year, maybe two, since actual conception. So like they are really early on. Um, but I was early on in the sense that we started to work through a lot of construction together. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to do a little bit of planning, and I've been doing some some construction on the bakery for probably about three to four weeks now. All right, lately. okay. So that's the majority of what my actual day-to-day -day looks like right now is a, a lot of construction, and um, I've been doing, you know, we do some planning, and uh, I'm starting to set up some staffing and some training and, and things like that. That's basically taken shape over the past two weeks or so. Um, so I will start 
rolling out like training initiatives, orientation, uh, finish up all the hiring, and then um, move into actually managing the the people uh, as as we get a better feel for what day to day execution is going to be. There's just so many unknowns. Yeah, well, I can understand that. It's, yeah. Well, this is the this is the third venture for Cristalgo, right? It's the third venture. This is an interesting venture. I like this idea. Yeah. I, and I have to say, and I, I want, I'm not just blowing smoke when I say I was, I was blown away by how nice the building looks. And I can see, I know it's not close to, quite close to finished yet. It still yeah. looks like work's being done. But yeah. even just looking at those floors, it's, it's really going to be something. Yeah, they have a really special space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, this is the third in what we hope to be a, a long series of business ventures over the yeah. next 10 years or yeah. so, um, and then beyond that, who, who can tell, but uh, there are great plans in the works, and um, Tim likes to use the phrase, uh, low-hanging fruit, yeah. so we look, at, we look at really what we think the city will embrace and how we can enrich the city. Yeah. And um, they did that with fine dining at Taylor and the Cook, um, which I very recently got to experience. It's it. something else. It is truly, <laughs> truly something else uh, beyond any any actual expectations. Like you have your expectations going in, and I can say that like at every point, I was blown away um, by their service and by the quality of their product. Um, so they basically took that standard of excellence and looked at where they thought they could help improve the city from a food perspective. They have some other plans, um, but they went with a bakery and um, the sous chef at Taylor and the Cook, Steve Arbogast, mm -hmm. uh, is a really remarkable individual because generally in the restaurant world, you get bakers and you get cooks or chefs. Specialties. Yeah. Um, Steve is is really, really special in that he's talented enough to be the sous chef at Taylor and the Cook, uh, and he very recently stepped down from that position in the past week or two and took over as head baker at the bakery. Um, and that's that's really unique. You don't see people with that kind of skill set very frequently. It, it ties back to what I was discussing with the construction this, of the Utica Bread and Taylor and the Cook. If you're going to do it, you might as well spend the money to do it right. Right. And that, you know, this probably could have been done cheaper or probably could have been done a different way, but it wouldn't have the charm and the way it looks. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. It's, it's so worth it to put the investment in because it's going to be so nice. As far yeah. as like, yeah, business ventures go, yeah. the, the, what's been expressed to me is that a bakery, like if you look at not just the, the staffing, because the amount of staff that we carry is really remarkable. The amount of staff we're going to open with is is truly a really yeah i didn't i have no concept for what the yeah. staff on a bakery yeah so i'll break down the staffing in a little bit uh, but the other thing is that like if you're going to start a business you know one of the things you look at is like just cost of equipment and looking at a bakery the cost of equipment in a bakery is not inexpensive at all really? um yeah i mean we have european european equipment that costs thousands to tens of thousands of dollars um and they really spared no expense, and they went with the best that they could go, they could get. And they looked, you know, five, ten years down the line to when uh, we hope to develop into wholesale, uh, so that you know we would be able to produce that amount of bread on that level without that any the, further investment. That's the end game too to do wholesale at some point in time. Yeah, and not not in the in the uh, too distant future. Right. Um, so right now we're looking at producing. Um, bread for Nail Creek, 
Excellent. Um, so we'll be switching bread over at Nail Creek, and uh, we're looking at producing bread for Taylor and the Cook. Which, if you go in there now, they're serving some beautiful bread. And uh, you were uh, you were gracious enough to let us sample some, me and Kev, and it uh, it's all right. Yeah, it's you pretty, guys, uh, pretty good. Yeah, you guys had croissants. I uh, uh, I didn't even get to enjoy the croissant. Yeah, so. that croissant. That croissant might have been like a day old, and it was still better than almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it was I, amazing. You know, I don't. There were two gentlemen in when you gave us a tour yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who was who. I didn't. I didn't want to ask too yeah, many questions because cool. I yeah. felt. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I feel like I'm intruding on them. Uh, but the older European gentleman. Yes. That man is like my spirit animal. Yeah. Watching him, watching him make those baguettes was. I could have watched him do that all day. It was like a lava lamp. It's it was a little. Poetic. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. So that's Jean Marie. Oh Jean Marie. Jean Marie. And Ooh. I mean, how could we have a European style bakery without a true, oh true god. blue Frenchman? Oh, dude, yeah. he's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. I know all the time. Like this guy's so cool. He's like he's like formerly French. He was, he was formerly in the French Legion. He's like uh, yes, yeah, of course he's he was. a bad man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but uh, fantastically charming as you would oh, expect. He was so friendly. Yeah, he was so nice. and been in the industry, and uh, I want to say since of 1986, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he started selling ovens, mixers, things like that, so bakery equipment, uh, ended up opening his own bakery, has very recently worked for Heidelberg, mm-hmm. um, and now he is um, one of our bakers at Utica Bread, um, and and the other gentleman is Steve, who you met, who was the sous chef at Taylor and the Cook, uh, who is our head baker, and um, without, I mean, he won't say this, but like, without question they're both genius level mm-hmm. they really they and <clears throat> there's a you know we discussed sort of the excellence at taylor and the cook and a lot of what we do whether we were barbers or whether we were a basketball team or whatever like mm-hmm. it's a standard of excellence that we pursue we happen to be baking mm-hmm. um they happen to run taylor and the cook Obviously, they love food, and that's their specialty, but the idea that you do something without cutting corners, without really a concern for cost as much, right? So it's more right, about yeah. the quality of production. Right. And again, you know, really, if you're going to if you're going to make a product, you know what I mean? <laughs> Why not make the best product? Exactly. You know, it's, it's worth it to invest more to get a better product back. The, um, the, the, the hidden investment, too, is... Um, is time, because uh, time is essentially the difference between uh, mass-produced bread and uh, high-quality artisanal bread. Sure. sure. Uh, well, Clifford, uh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you that you came on to do the show with us. It's it's an honor. And as a matter of fact, I'd actually like to have you stay. You want to stay with us and hang out for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's yeah. really cool. Uh, we will be right back, Cliff. Uh, Utica, at Utica Bread on Twitter. I don't know, where can we get a hold of you if we want to know about Utica Bread and when are we opening? When okay, we... so we will open officially at 7 a.m. on July 8th and uh, everyone should be there. 7 a.m. I'm going to write that down. Yes, July 8th. Um, um, so we are on Facebook. Um, so you can find Utica Bread on Facebook. That's going to be more and more active in the next couple of days. Okay, you're going to have to talk to him about what this Facebook thing is in the break. So, you, okay. all right. Perfect. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes.
with Cliff in studio. Woo! Kevin's back. Hi, Kevin. I'm back. Hello. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Cliff. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for coming in today. It's a great pleasure. Uh, we do this for no reason very frequently. So <laughs> this is a great, great pleasure to be here. We have a we have a nice opportunity to have you on here. Uh, me and Kevin talked about this recently. We were at a bonfire at a good friend of ours' house a while ago. Yes. And uh, Cliff, you may or may not have been there. I believe you were. Uh, because the story doesn't make sense if you weren't there. <laughs> uh, we, me and Kevin were discussing a book that we'd read by Andy Weir called The Martian. It's a very popular book. And more often than not, when me and Kevin bring up books in public to people, they look at us like, what, you're, what you're now? What? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No one cares about books. But you not only had read the book, but had... You were full of hot takes yeah, about no, The Martian. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have a deep passion about The Martian. Uh, and I figured that because we have you here, and because uh, we don't have that many friends who read, uh, it would be good to bring <laughs> We're it up. Doomed. We're all doomed. Uh, it'd be good to bring bring it up with you, uh, since the movie trailer is out, and I know, and I don't know how you felt about the movie trailer. Oh, you're you're gonna hear. Let's hear. Well, please, all right. hear. All right. How do I feel about the trailer, or about the book? Well, I think we all agree we all liked the book a lot. Yeah, right? we, we all, definitely all liked okay. the book. That's what it was. We were out at the fire, and we had all yeah. you had just you had just moved up here. Cliff and Sam, you had just come back from New York as well, and we were all just kind of talking, getting to know each other, and this book came up, and all of a sudden the three of us were in an intense circle of discussion about yeah, this book yeah. we had all read. Um, all right, so, yeah, I saw the trailer recently. Um, for those who don't know about the book, super briefly, it was a book that uh, couldn't so even good. get, yeah, it couldn't even get published. Uh, it got published digitally originally, uh, Random House picked it up, it became a hard, uh, hardcover bestseller, it became a paperback bestseller, it got picked up by Ridley Scott. <laughs> um, it's an absolutely unbelievable tale of, of, of a story, but, uh, and then they cast Matt Damon in the movie. Um, uh, Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> but we can all name at least one Matt Damon movie we like. Oh, dude. I, I like Matt it. Damon. My only problem, when I saw the trailer and I saw Matt Damon as the astronaut was I had just seen Interstellar, Interstellar right. which I thought was great. One of the best movies I've seen in a while. Yeah. And he was also in space and like an astronaut and stuff like that. Not to ruin it. But yeah, he, right, right. And so it looked like he was just playing the same thing. So I was like, right. Matt Damon again, kind yeah. of rehashing, even though the stories are very, very different. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the characters are very different too. Yeah. I always have a weird moment, especially with a book. This is funny because it's like music when I was younger. Now if I find a book that I like and I read it, and they turn it into a movie, I feel very protective of the book, especially if I read it before the movie came right. out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I read This Is Where I Leave You Yeah. Uh, a couple years before they made the movie. When the movie came out, I remember being very like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> uh, and I felt a little bit that way watching the Martian trailer. I felt a little bit like, no, don't take away this this experience for me from being like this book that I like, that fell in love with. Love with. Yeah. I, I hope that they don't turn this into like, but I guess that's that's against the idea of, of publishing your literature or making a piece of art you want it to be shared. But damn it, I wanted well, it for me. Yeah, and movies, <laughs> movies are like, for me, man. very much a different animal, you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, a book is made, I think, a, I think very rarely someone writes a book for it to be successful. And I think very frequently people make movies to be successful. And so they target different audiences. Mm -hmm. So Andy Weir makes his book because this is how Andy Weir executes it via his vision. This is his passion. You know what I mean? And it comes out really beautiful. Ridley Scott has a $150 million budget he's got to recoup, which yes. means he's got to appeal to got a to lot. Yeah, exactly. And so there is that compromise that has to be made. And I mean, we, obviously we've yet to see it. 
I yeah. think that I think that it goes back to what we were talking about before. More people see movies than they do read books, right? right. Uh-huh. So when you read a book and you love it, and you know somebody's going to make it a movie, well, it's hit or miss if the movie, whether it's good or bad, is going to be representative of that book that you love so much. Like I know, for example, myself, I'm a big Stephen King fan, and I love most of his books. I've ever read all the classic stuff like Pet Cemetery, It, Salem's right. Lot, all those kind of things. Yeah, I love Salem, and I love those books. But almost every one of them, the movie was left me feeling lacking. I didn't really well, like any of them. And then when you tell somebody, you're like, "Oh, I love the book It by Stephen King. You should read it. It's great." They're like, "Oh, isn't that the clown book?" You're like, yeah, "No, it's true. so much more." You right, don't get it. Right. You know, though, you and me could do a whole podcast. <laughs> Full, like an hour's worth podcast of just Stephen King book to movie conversions <laughs> that we didn't like. Uh, but I do want to talk about something, and this is something that I've noticed recently. Uh, I'm seeing less people reading books on tablets now. And I don't know if it's because I'm back from New York, but it was a big thing in New York for people to read books on like, uh, on like yeah. Kindle Fires or, you know, like, uh, or on their iPads. I've had a hard, I, I don't care to read books digitally, yeah. I've decided. I really, I've taken a, a pretty harsh stance for against digital books. I understand really the portability it. of something like a Kindle, an iPad, whatever it is you're going to use. I understand that it's more portable, it's easy because you can stash, you know, 10 different books, hundreds right. of different books on your Kindle, really. And as you and I know, owning books is a downner in oh, terms of moving anywhere. Oh, and that's God. the hardest part. Anytime I move, I'm moving hundreds and hundreds of pounds of books. Everything else is a piece of cake. Books take forever. But I think that's what it is, too, if you're a book person. If you read books, you get to a certain age, you read books, you've been reading books your whole life. Yeah. And so you, you you grow drawn into the ritual of holding the book and turning the page yeah. and the physical copy. The same reason you see a lot of people go back to, you know, vinyl records for yeah. music. There's something to be said for holding that product in your hand, you know, being able to smell the pages of the book. It's an accomplishment when you hold it. It's it just, the tactile response to it yeah. makes it seem more real. It yeah. seems like more of a real thing than it does when you're just flipping through pages on a Kindle that might as well just be flipping through Grantland or something. There's no difference. Right. So I, <laughs> that's the pretentious mood, right? Guy reading a Kindle, smoking an e-cigarette. That's the guy who I'm just like, this guy, you are ruining America. <laughs> you, are, you are ruining my He'll America. He'll be the first one killed in Singularity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, he's you don't think he's court. ahead of the game? <laughs> um, so I have like just kind of a two-pronged quick insight on that. I think half of it is lifestyle. So you get a lot of people who are going to travel in the city. And when you travel yes. a ton, an e-reader is a very fantastic thing to have. I'm going to counterpoint that. An e-reader does not show off the cool book to you're reading. <laughs> to the rest you're of not the getting a lot of tail. That's exactly If you're like yeah. Sam and you only read books so people can see how cool you are for reading this right. yes. book, e-readers no good. Um, it's true. I own a hard copy cover of Sonnets, just so you know. Like I, I'm totally <laughs> I mean, guilty of that. Dude, I read The Road on the subway, yeah. and it was the only time anyone ever felt the need to like stop me on the subway and yeah. say, hey man, did Dude, the, the relationship between the father and the son is really what sets this book apart. I'm like, there are 30 pages left, man. Just thank you. you but gotta get out of here. Go. Like, you yeah. gotta go. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, the other one, too, is uh, right before I started working for the bakery, I worked for Barnes and Noble. And, yeah, you did. Um, yeah. And, uh, you were a manager at a Barnes and Noble, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, um, the the sale of ebooks is not really what's keeping that company afloat. No, um, no, certainly not. Not even not even because of not not just from a tablet perspective, but the 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 fact is the store that I worked in did really really well in hardcovers, yeah. and it wasn't an affluent community. It was just a community of committed readers that were devoted to the store, and they wanted new books. And well, if you want a new book, you have to buy a hardcover. That's cover. what it is too. Because being a reader, if I want a new book, I have to go to Barnes and Noble because. You don't see independent bookstores. Right, bookstores yeah, limited, I mean, yeah. I'll pick up a lot of stuff at thrift stores, things like that. 
But and you know, I'll order books off Amazon and stuff too because oh, it's 2015, and I'm trying to be ready for this. I'm gonna regularity. Give it to you. Yeah. Right, but like I'm saying, with a lot of it, you know, there's no place we can go browse the stacks for all the books. Right. Like you can at a Barnes and Noble, yeah, so they right. still have it's a, a lot because anybody who is a reader, yeah. like we all like to read actual books. We have no choice but to go there. I was there yesterday. Now, yeah. I've, I've, you've noticed I do the the Amazon cheapskate maneuver, which is where I will buy used, used copies books. of books yes. for like three cents right. and then pay well, the three dollars shipping. shipping right? <laughs> and then it seems like that's the way to go. And yeah. then plus, I get a special treat in the mail once every now and then. Like, hey. You know, the stand. Again. Not a bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a bill. The problem is they're so cheap, you get out ahead of yourself, and next thing you know, you've got 15 books in your yes. on-deck circle, and you're still in the middle of four others. Yeah, true, yeah. That's my and choice. that's how you end up like uh, us, where we've got a whole room in the house just full of books that we yeah, have to we do have put somewhere. Yeah. Book room. Uh, before we close up for the day, I do have one over-under for you guys today. Okay, uh, overrated, underrated, very topical. Here we go. Matt Damon. Overrated, underrated, Matt Damon. Underrated. Underrated. I will say Matt Damon is underrated because you always get the Matt Damon and he always seems like the punchline <laughs> of a joke and he's made some movies that are kind of goofy but like like you said I can guarantee everybody's got a handful of Matt Damon movies they love pound for pound he always brings his thing he may not be the most diverse guy you might not catch him playing billions of different styles of roles right? but he does what he does with a professionalism that you only get from being an actor for you know decades now I think it's a little cynical to be underrated or to be overrated on Matt Damon yeah. right like it's a little bit like who's rating him that high I never hear anything yeah, great right, about yeah, Damon yeah. nobody's ever nobody's ever like everybody's going down on Damon him. left yeah. and right like, did Affleck the people. overtake him would you Here's rather be thing. Ben Affleck now? Here's the, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Would you? Wow. Yeah. Argo. Yeah, Argo. <laughs> Argo. Did it for me. Also, Batman. No. He's coming up. He's co- he's coming up. Mm. But would you have rather gone through the hard times that Affleck had to go through? The Geelys, the the Jersey Girl movies, all that junk like that? David's yeah. been pretty consistently... Nah, because he's got a solid stretch of tail in there where like I don't feel bad for him. Like It's real difficult for me to feel bad for, for him. Damon was I, Scotty Doesn't Know from Eurotrip. <laughs> right, like he was, he or is that road trip or Euro trip? I don't that was Euro trip. Scotty doesn't. Scotty doesn't know. He, that was Matt, Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, also, also, Matt Damon's in on that joke, by the way, which I think I think puts him like yeah. firmly in underrated. You know what I mean? Like, I, you'll always see him. He's on Kimmel all the time because they're like neighbors and buddies, and they're always like he, they're real self aware, like having a sense of humor and making jokes, not taking being. Big giant movie star that seriously. Yeah, I mean, which he's is got, nice to see. Right? Didn't he get an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting for 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 writing that screenplay? Him and Affleck. Him they and were Affleck. Kids. They just rolled yeah. it in like a stand back. Anybody? Yeah, anybody's got anything bad to say about Damon's wrong? Just <laughs> wrong. He's an American treasure. Right. Just like somebody told me, Neil, you somebody told me Neil Young was an American treasure once, <laughs> and I punched him in the face. Uh, anything you guys want to say before we close out for the day? Any recommendations? Anything you got? For the I people? will punch you in the face if you denigrate <laughs> Neil Young. <again. laughs> That's my only uh, recommendation. For go see The Martian. Actually, go read The Martian. Uh, go read The Martian. Go read The Martian. Go read it. Uh, at Utica Bread. At Cliff. What's your Twitter? Oh my God, I don't even know. Uh, uh, great. At, C- C- at C. C Montoni, and you'll never spell it. <laughs> C M O N T A N Y E. Yes! Remarkable. Guys, thank you very much. We'll catch you next week. Goodbye, folks. Bye-bye. Miss you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.